Genesis 1, 1 through 5. And I'd like to invite you to say this one with me. Say it back to me. It's our verse of the month. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And turning over to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, which is a very self-conscious reflection by the Apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit upon Genesis 1-1. Genesis, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is the written and the inerrant word of God. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. When you read, you begin with ABC. When you sing, you begin with do, re, mi. The very first notes just happen to be do, re, mi. The very first words just happen to be Genesis 1 through 3. Recorded on the first page of his written word, the Bible, at the very beginning of Genesis are the first words that begin to reveal our purpose in life, our reason for living, and the character of the God who created it all. A God who cares about us because he made us. This is a biblical logic that you care about that which you made. It's a logic to which David appealed in Psalm 138, verse 8, when he said, Do not forsake the works of your hands. The Bible says this is a proper ground for meaning. This is a proper ground for caring. That God cares about us because he made us. And so David, at a moment of trial, pleads the promises and he says you made me don't forsake me and i come to you today i come to you for many of you have trials many of you have difficulties you're facing a future and you don't know what it looks like and you don't know the plans laid for you but i come to you from the bible and i declare to you with all the authority of God 
behind me that he made you. He will not forsake you. And I come today to say that there is a creator who cares. There is one who made the creation and he cares about that. And he cares about humanity who is the apex of his creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here we learn of the love and light in verses 1 through 5 that flows from that God who created it all. Will you gain your purpose and meaning in life from God, the ground of all being, the living Lord revealed in the Bible? Or will you seek to gain your purpose and meaning in life from yourself, from your own striving to create a world for yourself of purposeful existence that, that all would know you by what you have done? That is as vulnerable as somebody's movie, The Matrix, a world in which humanity is unknowingly trapped inside a simulated reality in which intelligent machines try to distract humans while using their bodies as an energy source. The moment you leave the objective word of truth found in the Bible, you are subjected to all manner of man-centered delusions and pretensions, which may not be as extreme as the movie The Matrix, but which certainly can be just as abusive. You were created by a loving Heavenly Father. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the Apostles' Creed, we declare that back to God, confessing, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, the Father and Son, who with the Holy Spirit, that Spirit who hovered over the face of the waters, that Trinitarian God who is worthy of worship, praise, honor, and glory. And that honoring and glorifying God is your purpose in life. What is the chief end of man? It is that we would know God and glorify him forever. He created you in the light of that first creation week. And he has brought you back into the light when we rebelled by bringing you the light of Christ. You know, the world is not going to tell you this. You were not put on this earth to be abused by the world the way it does. You are not here to be the objects of the world's power and wealth building and academic control, their materialistic worldview, corporations, governments, totalitarian dictators, universities, think tanks, tanks, manipulative autocrats of the left and the right who think they have no limits in their manipulation of you. After all, in their view, you evolved from mere matter. And therefore, you don't really matter at all. In their minds, as revealed in their actions, you come from the scum, from the ancient primordial soup of some kind of ammonia and oxygen and carbon dioxide soup struck by lightning in that pseudo 
experiment simulated by Yuri. And somehow, ridiculously, that is thought to bring forth amino acids and ammonia, which become proteins, and woohoo! All of a sudden, we're at fully functioning bacteria. And then after that, huh, well, you've got human beings millions or billions of years later, without a god and without an intelligent designer. You then evolved from bacteria, according to the world. And it takes millions and billions of years after that to produce you. This is a theory, a ridiculous chain of events that have no merit. And yet it is this logic that leads to the degrading of the human condition. The objectification of human beings as objects to be destroyed, if not pleasing to the one in power, to a dictator such as Hitler. He and his cronies held to biological Darwinianism and then the following theory, social Darwinianism, the survival of the fittest. The weak don't matter. And the Nazis loved that idea. Kill the unfit, kill the unproductive, kill the mentally ill, the mentally differently abled, kill the unproductive homosexuals because they're not raising up viral Aryans in our midst, are they? Kill the communists, kill the trade unionists, and most of all, kill the Jews. My wife and our three younger children saw Buchenwald which was just outside of the capital city of Weimar during the Weimar Republic in 1920. That was the capital of Germany. And just outside, you got Buchenwald. It's like you had a concentration camp in Silver Spring, Maryland, outside of Washington. Well, there's a lot of things just outside of Washington, D.C. right now. They may not be Buchenwald, but they reflect this materialistic control mentality. And ultimately, we need to see that just as a Lutheran pastor at Nuremberg writing the book, reflected and described in the book, Mission at Nuremberg, an American army chaplain in the trial of the Nazis, just as he ministered Christ there and called Nazis out of the darkness and into the light, we see that even then they were talking about evolution at the end of their life. This is the ground of their existence. We learn from the Bible, however, that the universe began with a personal God, love and light, not with despicable distortions of a man-centered ideology, but rather God-centered glorification, which brings dignity to women and men created in the image of God. Our theme today, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the creation of everything out of nothing. Verses 2 and 3, the spirit and the word active in creation, creation flowing from love. And verses 4 and 5, the good from God that brings us hope, creation of the light. So first, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the creation of everything out of nothing. In the beginning is God, a personal being, and that personal being then created everything out of nothing. And we 
Man and woman are at the beginning, meaning we're the center of all reality. It's not matter, which is meaningless and purposeless. In the beginning, God. God pre-existed time. He pre-existed that moment, which is called in the beginning. He was before the beginning. There is no time in which he did not exist. He has existed and lived into eternity past. In the beginning, we see that at that moment, when God had already existed in an everlasting way, he created the heavens, the earth. The word used for create is bara. It's used exclusively of God's work, according to Alan Ross, a PhD from Cambridge. And I want to acknowledge Douglas Kelly, John Calvin, Glenn Scrivener, Matthew Henry, John Gill, Alan Ross, and Philip Evison, and their works, and Alan, and, and I just am so thankful for these, these writers, and I uh, just want to acknowledge that I am blessed, and I want to just pass on some of that blessing to you. The word bara is the word for God's work, whereas when human beings make things, it's asa, or when we form or shape things, it's chasar. However, God creates baha. And the word means to create something new and fresh and perfect, according to Ross. He makes new and fresh the heavens and the earth. And if you turn with me for a moment, just turn over to Hebrews in chapter number 11, where we read in verse 3, Hebrews chapter 11. And then in verse number three, we read of the creation. And we see the faith necessary to believe this. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So, the things which were, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We see that if it was there, it's there. Not because it was made of something that was visible. It's not a pre-existing material that created those things which we see. I quote, the visible reality we perceive, the room we are in, the larger building, the trees, the soil, our bodies, the stars, do not originally come from other things that we can see or even theorize. It did not come from other things, unquote. It is by the word of the Lord that the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. This is creation out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo. And the reference to the totality of the universe that we see here, the heavens and the earth, is better understood if we turn to Genesis 14. If you turn just a chapter, couple chapters over, Genesis 14 and 19, where we are exposed to the grammatical device of merism. In verse 19, and this is Melchizedek blessing Abraham after Abraham had rescued him. And Melchizedek blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor 
of heaven and earth. Yes, he is the one who possesses it all. And that heaven and the earth, that's like opposites. And the opposites include the whole. And for another example of that kind of grammatical device, turn to Psalm 139, verses 1 to 2. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 2. Psalm 139, 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar up. You see the opposites there. His sitting down and his rising up. And those opposites then include the whole. The Lord is claiming, you know, David is saying, the Lord knows all about me. Everything, not just the time I'm sitting, not just the time I'm standing up, but the totality of my existence. So everything comes from nothing by the command of God the Creator. God is relevant to everything. There is no sphere of human existence which claim that God has to stay out. For example, there's the case this week where we have in the public arena a football coach that's not allowed to pray with his team on the 50-yard line after the game is done, as it's being argued in the Supreme Court today, this week. But you don't have to go to our Constitution for the right to do that. There is no sphere of human existence which is inherently contradictory to God and the revelation of the Bible. Abraham, the eminent Abraham Kuyper, the eminent Dutch theologian, said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine, including 50 yard lines after the game. And relevant to the abuses of the Nazis referenced earlier, we have Kuyper, who says, No man has the right to rule over another man. Otherwise, such a right necessarily, necessarily and immediately becomes the right of the strongest. As the tiger in the jungle rules over the defenseless antelope, so on the banks of the Nile, a pharaoh ruled over the progenitors of the fellaheen of Egypt. Nor can a group of men by contract from their own right compel you to obey a fellow man. What binding force is there for me in the allegation that rages... A, Ages ago, one of my progenitors made a contract social with other men of their time. As man, I stand free and bold over against the most powerful of my fellow men. I do not speak of the family, for here, organic natural ties rule. But in the sphere of the state, I do not yield or bow down to anyone who is a man as I am. Unquote. Yes, he made it all, he is in charge of all, and he has given us liberty in the midst of it all. Out of nothing did God create everything. There is no competing life force view. There is no inherent uh, reality before God where he has to compete with that reality. We see secondly, verses two and three. The spirit and the word are active in creation. What is created out of nothing in verse 1 
is at first formless and void. But then God, taking that accomplished act, moves on in verses, as described in verses 2 through 31, to form it and to shape it and to give it purpose as a dwelling place for his creation and even for man and woman created in his image. Now, if you walk into an empty room, an empty living room, if you will, and you go in and there's no furniture, nothing there, it's empty, it's void. That's one way of thinking that it's empty. But I had an experience when I was a kid going to the Hermitage in Hohokus, New Jersey. It's an eminent Victorian, pre-Victorian house that is beautifully restored now. But when I went there, there were two distant relatives, older ladies who had a vicious German shepherd who greeted us whenever we tried to drop food off at the holidays. And I, I just didn't want to go in. I wanted to stay in the Chevy van, okay? You leave me in the van, Dad. You can go deliver the stuff. Oh, but he dragged me along by the scruff of my neck. You will bring Christmas greetings to these distant relatives. And there I am, cowering before the German shepherd, and it looked like he was cut off from me like little dowels of wood. You know, you have this gate across this door, and it's like tiny little pieces of wood keeping me away from those teeth. But the thing about that room, it was totally cluttered. You walked in there, and all you see was fishing baskets on the wall where they used to put the fish when they were fishing there, uh, baseball bats, bobby pins, sheets, saltine cracker boxes, Everything random, jam-packed full, no walking room to get through. And don't forget that angry German shepherd dog. And when, if I was asked, what's in there? I could very well say nothing. <laughs> There's nothing of meaning to me. There is nothing that has purpose for me. And so that's the kind of nothing we're talking about here in Genesis chapter 1. Because there was something which was there, the earth, but that earth was a watery mass that included liquids and solids with no form, just void and without form. Tohu v'bohu is the way it's put in the Hebrew. I still remember my Hebrew teacher going on about that phrase and how what it meant was that there is something, but it is void and darkness, and it needs God. It needs God to continue his work of creation. You may ask, why didn't he just put it into being just an instant, instantaneous relation, relig, uh, uh, creation? And I'd suggest it was to provide the fact that this was a world being crafted for day six, that there was a purpose and an end and a goal. And there was a purpose to see that God is good and eternally powerful. And we look at this situation here and we see the darkness, Hosek, is how the darkness was on the face of the deep. The deep is the Tahom. It's that primeval ocean I was referring to a moment ago where liquids and solids are, are just existing in an undifferentiated mass. The primeval ocean, a surging mass of water. And then you see God working. And the Spirit of God 
was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, it's not just wind. It, it isn't just a wind in a physical sense. It's the Spirit of God. It isn't a wind because there was no uh, place between the waters for that wind to blow because that came into being on the second day. There is the Holy Spirit of God, his own personality, the third person of the Trinity, hovering. And it speaks to kind of like a massaging, an active engagement with this matter. We must remember that God is transcendent, but he is also imminent. He is far beyond us, but he is also with us. He is engaged. And the word speaking here is of like a fluttering or a moving or a shaking, as it says in Deuteronomy 32.11, as an, angle, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, and spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them and beareth them on her wings. That word flutter is the same one as this word here, hover. It is an attention to. It is an energetic engagement with that which is the object, namely the earth, which is without form and void. And there's a different word here. Instead of the face of the deep, it is the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. The deep is no longer just the deep without order. It is a waters which is going to bring forth life. And that word waters has a direct relevance in other parts of the Old Testament to a fluid that brings life. And so as we consider this, we consider that there is something going on here which is so far beyond impersonality. It is the direct engagement of God preparatory to the specific declaration of God. And the Spirit and the Word work together. That is one of our Reformation concepts. We don't get unmediated religion, revelation from God. We get revelation through the Word that is illuminated, illuminated by the Spirit. And so this Spirit is preparing the heart. And then the Word and comes in and brings the specific direction. It is the direction, let there be light. And there was light. So we have both the engagement, which is like the Holy Spirit coming into our heart, and you may feel the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart, but then you need the word. You need that declaration of what the truth is. And that truth, in this case, was that God was going to cast off that darkness on the waters and bring his light. You know, Glenn Scrivener has put it so pungently that we really need to recognize that love is first. When you think about what came first, you know, there's basically four options according to Scrivener. It's either nothing or chaos or power or love. And when you think about your own life as you look forward to this year, think about it in terms of what God has done at the beginning to condition your beginning of this year. The common belief among many is that there's nothing there before the universe started. It's just a lot of black something. No God, no matter. And according to this line of reasoning, before there was a universe, there couldn't be anything 
because the universe is everything. That's assuming that the universe that you see is the totality of existence, keeping God out of the equation. But if you think there's nothing but this, well, then before this, then it must be nothing. And then bang, out of that nothing came everything. You know, I believe in the virgin birth of Christ. I believe in the miracle. But this would be the virgin birth of the universe. Without the virgin, the ultimate conjuring trick of a rabbit up the sleeve, that rabbit that comes out of your sleeve, but there's no sleeve, and there's no arm, and there's no magician. Just pure magic out of nowhere. If you believe in such a miracle, I ask you to reconsider what it would mean if this was true, that there's nothing at the beginning, is that this year, your year is all about creating something out of nothing. You've just got to do it all. You have to be a self-creator. The pressure is all on you in the home, in the workplace. You've got to produce. You've got to work miracles. You've got to bring something out of nothing. But this is not the truth. The truth is also not that chaos is at the beginning. The pagan world had lots of pagan myths about where the earth came from, like the Enuma Elish epic poem, the Gilgamesh epic. And as described in the Metropolitan Museum of Art website, this is basically a part of this, is that Marduk earned the right to be the chief god by confronting Tiamat and Jinju, who were rivals to the, the, this other set of gods, and they confronted them, whereas Marduk was successful, and he volunteered his strength in return for a promise that if victorious, he will become the king of the gods. The gods agreed, a battle ensued, and Marduk vanquished Tiamat and Chingju, her host. Marduk then uses Tiamat's carcass for the purpose of creation. He splits her in half like a dried fish and places one part on high to become the heavens and the other half to be the earth. That's what chaos gives you. And if that's the world you want, you are welcome to it. But then just recognize, where does that leave you in 2022? That leaves you to see that this is all about struggle. This is all about getting out of the chaos. Bang, crash, struggle, struggle. It's all about fighting your whole life. The third option is power. In a non-religious sense, you could have the iron laws of physics, and we dance to their tune. In the religious sense, you have all of the non-Judeo-Christian monotheistic religions where you have a monad, a single, solitary god, high in the distance, who is not in available relationship with you. High on power, low on relationship. Only with thoughts for his own company. Hey, if this was the god that you want, then basically you want a Jim Carrey god. You want the god who's going to say, the nerve of those who's inviting me down there on such short notice. Even if I wanted to go, my schedule wouldn't allow it. One o'clock, wallow in self-pity. 4.30, stare into the abyss. Five o'clock, solve world hun hunger, tell no one. 5.30, jazzercise. 6.30, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. Seven o'clock, wrestle with my self-loathing. 
I'm booked. Well, if I bump the loathing tonight, I could still be done in time to lay in bed and stare at the ceiling and sip slowly into madness. But what would I wear? If that's the kind of God you want, well, then you're welcome to it. But then that's your life about slavery. Slavery, where this uh, very deficient concept of God slips memos under your door, pops emails into your work email, and tells you what to do. But that's not the God we worship. We worship the Trinitarian God. The Father in the beginning God created. The Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And the God who is the Word saying, let there be light. And there was light forever in eternity past was this Trinitarian God loving one another. And by their own sheer love and their desire so to create a world that could bear image bearers reflecting love back to them. They created the universe and the humanity which we are. This is the love which animates our lives and your 2022. Come to this God and come because he has created the light. Verses 4 and 5. I will get into more details on the days of creation in a future sermon. But for now, I just point out that the darkness comes first and then comes the morning. Look at it there. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. You've heard of the Julian calendar where Julius Caesar established the days and he started his days at midnight and they went through the day and they ended at midnight. And the days for that worldview are basically days that begin in the darkness and they end in the darkness. And in between you got a little time in there and you can do whatever you can pull out, you know, make hay while the sun shines. But the basic principle is here is darkness. Days begin and end in the darkness. But the Hebrew view, the biblical view, God's view of days, is that they begin in the darkness and the hope of God comes. The light comes. The joy cometh after the morning. I want you to know this Savior, this light that comes into your life. I want you to know that this is a hope for your 2022 and that you will see that this God who created is a God of love and a God of light who brings you existence and salvation. And remember these words from John, the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let us pray. Bless us, O oh Lord. May we see your purpose and plan that we are not subject to the materialism of this age, that we have an inherent dignity, and that we have a purpose, which is to share your love and to show forth your light. Oh God, thank you for creating us and thank you for redeeming us. And bless each of us with such a great salvation. We pray. 
in Jesus' name.